Uh, We've been walking together through the Gospel of John, and today we find ourselves back in chapter 8. I'm going to invite my lovely wife to come up, and uh, she's going to read through the passage for us. We're going to be reading through verses 30 through 36. John 8, 30 through 36. Isn't she pretty? (laughs) Okay, here's our passage. John 8, starting in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Thanks. So this Friday is uh, Independence Day, July 4th. Thank you. Um, it's Independence Day. I can't believe how fast this year has gone. That we're already back at July 4th. But um, it's, the, it's the day we celebrate the, the throwing off of political tyranny and the achievement of self-rule as a nation. Um, it just so happens that our passage for today and really the whole morning is, is about freedom. Uh, and I wish I could say I planned that, and I didn't. Um, but God is much better at managing the calendar than I am. Um, I think it's no coincidence that we're going to be looking at freedom today. Um, but the freedom that Jesus is talking about in this passage and the freedom that he offers us today is, is different than what we're going to celebrate in five days. Um, when Jesus said this, his listeners knew that this was the case. And we need to know that this is the case as well. The Jews who were listening to Jesus uh, knew that he was talking about a different category of freedom. That's why when he offers them freedom, if you notice, they said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Why would you offer us freedom? And if you know anything about the Old Testament and, and Israel's history, you would think, what do you mean you've never been slaves? What do you mean you've never been in bondage? What about Egypt? What about Babylon? What about the Roman oppression that they're currently living under? How can they make that statement? We've never been in bondage to anyone when they're currently living under Roman rule. Well, because Jesus is talking about a different kind of freedom and they knew it. Jesus is referring to something deeper than politics or economics or borders. So we have to begin our our study this morning by asking that very simple question. That if Jesus is not referring to slavery or oppression from the likes of Egypt, Babylon, Rome, or in our case, England... Uh, then what is he offering freedom from? And I actually thought it'd be kind of fun just to open up the floor a little bit. I want to hear your thoughts. If Jesus is offering us freedom today, what are we being freed from or being freed to? Just right where you are, just shout out. What what are we we being freed from? The law. What else? Hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Freedom from sin. It, what does that mean? Free, freedom from sin. What, what about sin are we being freed from? Freedom from the consequences of sin. That's right. The wages of sin. What else? Conviction? Oh, addiction. Addiction, yeah, absolutely. That's great. From hell. 
Anything else? Condemnation. Freedom from fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's not just freedom from stuff. It's freedom to. We say freedom from sin. We don't mean just the freedom of. You know, we said. I think we've said it. The consequences of sin, hell, condemnation. We've used some of these, but it's also freedom from the the power of sin today. I, that's. I think that goes along with what you're saying, David. The addiction. You know, sin no longer has mastery over us. Depression? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Freedom from accusation means the word of the the, the voice of God is able to be louder than the voice of Satan or the the voices of the world. Anything else? You know, another one I wrote was freedom from um, isolation or loneliness. You know, he says that nothing can separate us from his love, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. There's no need to be lonely anymore. We've been brought home. So that, that of course, leads us to the question, well, where do we stand? He offers the freedom, but are we, are, are we living in that freedom? Have you experienced that freedom? Are you enjoying that freedom today? Would that be something maybe that marks your life? When you think about maybe some words that would define your life, do you, is, is that freedom? Um, many of you have tasted that, that freedom at some point, but is that, is that what defines your life today? Do you feel today like the slave or like the son? I remember in, we said it in the video, the scripture says it, Jesus uses this great illustration in verse 34. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And we have to make sure that we're on the same page with Jesus here because our context is going to look a little bit different uh, than his because when we think of slavery, we think of slavery within our nation's history. Um, But the context here that Jesus is referring to is probably more indentured servants. Uh, He's probably referring to the slaves who were working for a temporary time, uh, most often to pay back a debt. That it, it, was a, it was a temporary thing. And so we read that, and we, in, our mind, in our mind, we think a slave got kicked out of the house. Well, that's great. They're free. But in his mind, in, in, in the minds of his listeners, it was very different. Because if the slave is kicked out of the house, that means the debt is still not paid. And chances are they would go to jail until that debt was paid. What Jesus is saying here is that some people's lives are filled with anxiety today because they live in the house like a slave. They're always trying to stay on the master's good side. They never know if they're going to get beaten or kicked out of the house. Their relationship with the master is not secure. But a son, on the other hand, a son knows that he belongs. The son has a completely different relationship with the master because the master is his dad. 
And if you think about it, there's actually some similarities between the servant and the son, because both the servant and the son live in the house. Both the servant and the son are fed by the master. Both the servant and the son obey the master. But again, the slave is constantly living in fear that if he does not perform, if he does not stay on the master's good side, he's going to get thrown out. But the son has a totally different security and, and relationship. The son enjoys this, this, this assurance of unconditional love and acceptance. That's what Jesus was offering these Jews, and that's what he offers us today. He wants to change our status from a slave to a son, a slave to a daughter. So the question is, are we living in the freedom that comes from knowing we are children of God? And, and right here in these seven verses that Jessica read, we, we find the path to freedom. We find our path to freedom, but, and we're, we're going we're gonna to walk those steps kind of towards the end. But before we break that down, what I'd like to do is I, I want to quickly point out two myths that we have about freedom. I want to kind of try to debunk a couple myths. Before we can try to prop up what freedom truly is that's being offered, we have to kind of break down some misconceptions. So one of the myths that we have about freedom today in our culture, in our day, is that freedom means having no master but yourself. You have no king but yourself. Again, on, on Friday, we're celebrating the day that we threw off our king and we achieved self-rule as a nation. But the message of the Bible is that a person becomes a Christian when he or she relinquishes self-rule. You see the contrast? In this passage, you see Jesus laying it out. He says, if you hear my word and you receive my word and you submit to it, you trust me, you follow me, you'll find true freedom. So we could basically say that the birthday of America is our Independence Day. The birthday of a Christian is Dependence Day. The myth is that Freedom means having no master, but Christ says, no, 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 no. Freedom means having the right master. Do you have the right master? And frankly, I don't even think it's possible to be without a master or to be without a Lord. Bob Dylan says, you've got to serve somebody. And I think he was right. You've got to serve somebody. Whatever you live for, Whatever, whatever you give yourself over to, that is your Lord. That is your master. That's the thing that controls you. And everybody at some point, every one of us here, myself included, at some point, we decide, I'm going to live for this. I'm going to live for some purpose that will give me significance. I'm going to live for something that's going to that's that's justify me. Then I'll know I'm okay. Then I can look myself in the mirror. This thing or that thing will justify me. One great uh, example of this is in the movie Chariots of Fire, where Harold Abrams, if you guys know the story, Harold Abrams is uh, the, the great sprinter who finally makes it to the Olympics after years and years of training. And, and just before the race, in this, in this moment of stark clarity, uh, he says basically, he says, in, in one hour, I will raise my eyes and I'll look down that corridor about four feet wide and I'll have ten Lonely seconds to justify my existence. In, in about one hour, I'm going I'm to raise my eyes and I'll look down that corridor about four feet wide and, and I'll have ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. Because that's what defined him. That's where he found his identity. That's what gave him purpose and significance. And the question he asked after that was, and will I? Will my existence be justified? Maybe a more familiar example is Rocky. Right? Where he says... Uh, if I could just go through 15 rounds with Apollo Creed, then I'll know that what? Anybody remember? No one? Okay. 
then I'll know I'm not a bum. He says, if I can just go 15 rounds with Apollo Creed, then I'll know I'm not a bum. What do you have to do to know you're not a bum? Because everybody has an answer to that question. We all have an answer. What do you have to do? What do you have to accomplish to know that you're not a bum? Does it have to do with your career? Does it have to do with how much money you make? Um, Whether your kids turn out all right? Does it have to do with, with, you know, uh, image, education? What do you have to do to know that you're not a bum? Does it have anything to do with Jesus? Because it's got to do with something. We all have it. We cannot live without a purpose. And whatever that purpose is becomes our Lord. It's this thing that controls us. It's what ultimately guides us through our life and helps us make our decision. Whatever you live for becomes your Lord. And by the way, whatever it is that you're, that you're, whatever it is that, that, that defines you, that is that thing, that thing that you are essentially worshiping, you will make sacrifices to worship that thing. So if it's your career, anything that gets in the way of the advancement of your career, you will push off to the side. You will sacrifice. They will suffer. So if it's your career and your family gets in the way of that, what's going to suffer? Your family. We all have it. What do you have to do to know that you're not a bum? Myth number one is that freedom means having no master. But the reality is that we all have a master. Freedom means having the right master. Elizabeth Elliot once said, I love this. She said, identity is not an issue of who am I, but whose am I? We all belong to somebody or something. To whom do you belong? All right, so that's myth number one. Myth number two, freedom is doing what you most deeply desire. Okay, freedom is, essentially means to do whatever you want, whenever you want. To do whatever you want without restrictions. That's what freedom means. Or in the words of Oprah on the side of my Starbucks cup this week, um, uh, she, she said, the only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. It sounds good, right? The only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. Ultimate freedom, ultimate liberation, the ultimate pursuit is to live the life you want. The problem with that, of course, is sin. Problem is sin. We see it... Um, Described and illustrated in scripture, we see it all throughout history. We see it in our very own hearts, if we're honest. But the things that we desire, the life that we want to live, if we're honest, is often not a godly life. The desires of our hearts, because of sin, is distorted, perverted, self-seeking, and destructive. Um, Paul in Romans 1, in some very stark language, basically says that because of sin, our thoughts have been made futile and our hearts are foolish and dark. That's the reality we live in. That's the reality we face. Freedom is not doing, ultimate freedom is not doing what we most deeply desire at any point in time. The truth is that we walk in ultimate freedom when we do that which we were created to do. I'll say that again. Freedom doesn't mean living life without restrictions. Freedom means doing what we were built to do. That, that's when ultimate freedom comes. And what we are built to do is to know and serve God and then to enjoy a loving relationship with him together. That's what we were built to do. That's when we experience the greatest amount of freedom. Think about it like this. Um, believe it or not, you may not know it from the looks of me, but I would like to be healthy. Okay? I would like, I would like to have a body that works in the way that it was designed to, to operate. Uh, I think I will experience the greatest amount of joy. I will enjoy um, 
or I will experience the greatest amount of freedom when, I'm, when my body is operating uh, in the way that it was meant to operate. However, I also really desire to have multiple bowls of cereal at 9 o'clock at night. All right? Um, the myth is that freedom means doing whatever I deeply desire. But what will bring me the greatest amount of freedom? What will bring me, uh, what will allow me to experience the greatest amount of freedom? If I just indulge my deepest desire at any one moment, I'm not actually freeing myself, am I? I'm actually restricting myself. What I have to do to be free is not simply to do whatever I want, whenever I want, but to ditch the feelings that enslave me. The Bible and the Bible alone tells us, tell us which of the desires enslave us and which of the desires free us. According to verses 31 and 32, the way that we can walk in freedom is by abiding in his word. Abiding in his word will enable us to see the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. Remember I said our sins distort and are, are distorted and perverted. Our, um, only God knows who we are. We're broken, and it's only our creator who knows, us how, and who knows how to put us back together. Many of you guys know John Olson uh, works with uh, medical devices, okay? John Olson works with medical devices, and then for years, John was working with this one device where you would, you would uh, wrap it around a leg or a ligament, and, and it would stimulate blood flow. Am I, am I right, John? Perfect. Um, so imagine uh, I get an injury on one of my big, long three-mile runs, and, um, and I have to buy one of these devices to help heal my leg, of course, I've got a one-year-old daughter, and she gets a hold of it, and she breaks it as she's wont to do. Um, from that point on, with this, this great device, I can throw it away. I can trash it. I can maybe repurpose it. But what a shame, right? What a shame, because there's this, it's this great, sophisticated device that is able to do so much, but it's not free and able to do that which it was created to do. If it's, if it's broken, if it's, if it's trash, if it's repurposed, only, it can only uh, uh, unleash that great healing potential unless it's operating in the way that it was designed. If I want it to operate at its full capacity, what I do is I then take it to its creator, John, and he puts it back together for me. And then it's able to, all this potential locked within it is able to be unleashed. There are some of us in here today that are, that are basically trying to repurpose our life. There are some of us in here today that actually feel trashed. What we are called to do, what we are led to do, is to return to our creator and let him put us back together. He's the one that can do it. There's all of this great potential locked up. You are made, I am made in the image of God. We are image bearers. And we were created for his glory and to, to flourish. And some of us are settling for second, third, fourth best. Run to your creator. Let him put you back together. So myth number two is freedom is doing what you most deeply desire. The truth is Jesus says freedom is doing what you were designed to do. And that design is found in the word of God. You with me? I'm kind of stumbling over my words here. You guys following along? Okay. If you're not walking in that freedom today, I want you to please pay close attention as we, as we wrap up here. Because I told you right here in this passage, the steps are laid out very clearly. Um, and if, if you're not walking in freedom, consider carefully at what point, at what step are you stuck? At what step in this process have you stalled? Okay, to experience freedom, first, we hear. We hear. In verse 30, John says, 
As he was saying these things, many believed in him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. You remember what kind of things he was saying? We've been, we've been talking about it from the weeks past. He says stuff like, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I'm the bread of heaven that will satisfy you. I'm the, I'm the living waters that will quench your thirst, and my, my spirit will flow out of you like a fountain. Okay? He's, he's preaching the gospel. Uh, he's, you know, our sins separate us from a holy God. And Jesus makes statements like, I have come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. I have come to seek and to save the lost and to bring back home those who have wandered away. He's preaching the gospel. Jesus speaks and the people hear and believe. That's the first step. We have to hear. We've been deluded in the American church to think that simply... By living moral, upright lives, or at least doing our best to do so, all the while keeping our mouths shut that somehow people are magically going to place their faith in Jesus. Friends, that almost never happens. Can't say it's never happened. It almost never happens. Peter says that we need to be ever ready to make a defense for the hope that is within us. We have to hear if we're going to, on, on, the, on, the, on the pathway to freedom. It was the first step then, it's the first step today. One of the classic texts on this is in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The path to freedom starts with hearing the good news. And for some of you in here today, maybe you've been coming for a long time, um, but you, you're not walking in freedom because, frankly, you still haven't heard. There's still some, you know, we talk about it every week, but there's still some disconnect in the way that we're commuting. Maybe it's the language we're using or some of the concepts that we're uh, addressing. Maybe it all still sounds foreign. If that's you today, if you still maybe are struggling to understand the good news about Jesus Christ, would you reach out and let us know? You can, there's the, those connect cards Katie was talking about. You can check off that you want to meet with the pastor. And we'll sit together this week. We'll find some time and, and we can talk through it. We can have a two-way conversation. We can dialogue and try to clarify the heart of the Christian message. Um, for those of you who are walking with Christ today, most of you in here, um, may this serve as a reminder for all of us, myself included, that for our friends and our family members and our neighbors who don't know Jesus, we all, we all have those people in our lives, don't we, who don't know Jesus. For them to place their faith in Jesus, they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Perhaps it's from you that they need to hear. Um, and I know this is scary. It's scary for me too. I know it's hard and it's inconvenient. And, uh, but may I remind you, not only is this a great privilege that we get to do this, but we, well, we also have the assurance that we don't walk out and do it alone. We, we don't walk out and do it in our own power. One of the verses we like to, to quote often here is in Acts 1, where we say, you know, we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But I'll just be honest with you guys and apologize, because I often forget the first part of that verse. Can I read you the whole verse? This is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you catch the beginning? Did you see the, 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 the significance of the first half of that verse? If we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, 
We, we've been made, as Peter said, partakers of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit has come upon us, and he's remaking us, and he's empowering us. And now we walk in the power of Christ. And so, yes, we are to be witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which includes San Jose, but we don't do it in our power. We do it by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit with us. So the first step on the process to freedom is hearing. The second is belief or faith. At, at verse 30 again, as he was saying these things, many, what? Believed. Many believed in him. Now, this belief or faith, as we know, is more than just mere intellectual assent. Faith is, is an active trust. Um, the classic illustration, we use it all the time here, but is our relationship with a chair. You know, we can say all we want that we believe that a chair can hold us up, but, until, but if we're unwilling to actually place our full weight on that chair, we don't actually have faith in the chair. Um, faith means placing our full weight on Jesus. Have you... Have you placed your full weight on him? Are you willing to rest all that you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, on who Jesus is and what he's done? Some of you here today have taken that first step on the path. You've heard the gospel. You've heard it every week as we preach it here. Um, but you've chosen to stay on the periphery. You, you, you've chosen to, to you know, you, you like to talk about Jesus. You like to sing about Jesus. You, you even like to think about Jesus. But there's never been any real commitment to him. I was just sharing this with a, with a friend of mine. Uh, that we've been talking to a friend who's been investigating Christianity. We were talking at, at some point. We were saying at some point, uh, you have to make a decision. At some point, you either have to accept or reject the offer of God. I was encouraging us that God, God does not force himself upon us. It's like a courtship. He woos us to himself, but ultimately, it, it, he leaves it up to us. Ultimately, he, he gives us the choice. He will not force us into a saving covenant relationship with him. With him. He has given us a will to make that choice. I think, Katie, I think you said that. It's one of the, the great gifts that he has given us is a will to make that choice. I had a chance to be a part of a, a wedding last weekend from a couple that, uh, right in this congregation, Mikey and Nicole Farrell. Um, really sweet wedding, very sweet couple. Um, but think for a second at how that wedding came to be. How are we able to celebrate that day? Mikey, who is absolutely in love with this girl, Nicole, I mean, she just, he's just head over heels for her. He could have said for months, and I think he actually did say this, but he basically says, Nicole, I love you. I, I, want, I want to take care of you for the rest of our lives. I want to commit myself to you. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I want to lay down my life for you and bless you. I want to enter into a mutually submissive, self-giving, uh, life-giving, covenant relationship with you. And that could have made Nicole, I mean, just feel so good, right? Could have made her feel so nice. But she's not actually able to enjoy and experience what Mikey is offering until she first says, yes, okay. Until she says, I do, she's not fully able to enjoy and experience what Mikey is wanting to offer to her. If you're not walking with Jesus and you're here today, um, my guess, by the way, is that, uh, that God is wooing you. I think that's why you're here. And I think that's why you've been here week after week. He's showing you who he is and he's drawing you to himself. God wants to, listen to me please, that God wants to enter into a life-giving covenant relationship with you, but that cannot happen until you first say, okay, yes. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, come what may, I do. I entrust my life to you. That's faith. 
First, we hear, then we believe, and then thirdly, we abide. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to clarify this, that again, abiding this third step, this third step in and of itself does not save us. Grace through faith saves. But what Jesus is saying is that if your faith is genuine, if it is true, you will abide. We have to make sure that we recognize Jesus' phrasing here. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He doesn't say, if you abide in my word, you will become my disciples. He says, if you are my disciples, you will abide. If you, if you abide in my word, you are indeed my disciples. You are really my disciples. So we have to ask, what does it mean to abide? Okay, because that, that's the great diagnostic test of whether or not we are truly disciples of Jesus, is if, if we are abiding or not. So what does it mean to abide? Well, this, it's a little Greek word, meno, M-E-N-O. And, and it's, it, it simply means to stay put or to remain. Every, most of the time it's used in the Bible, it means to settle down somewhere, to live somewhere, to make your home somewhere. So when Jesus says, abide in my word, he doesn't simply mean, you know, scan the scriptures every morning for, you know, a couple of minutes and try to get some inspiration for the day. He's saying, settle down and live there. Make your home in my word. And that doesn't mean we all quit our jobs and we just read the Bible all day. Okay? Um, he's just simply saying, you take the word of God. You put it into the center of your life and you let it lead you and shape you and guide you and control you. You live there. You can't, for example, just come here on Sunday morning, talk a bit about the Word of God, and then live the rest of the day as if God has no say over your life. You can't, you know, you're not, you're not, He doesn't give us the freedom to say, well, in my private life, I'll be obedient. In my private life, I'll, I'll honor the word of God. But in my public life, when I'm at work, when I'm at school, then I'm going to live any way I want. That's not abiding. Or vice versa. You can't say, well, when everybody's looking, that's when I'll abide by the word of God. But there's going to be some areas in my private life that people don't know about. I'm going to live the way I want. To abide in his word means to let his word guide and shape every area of our life in every domain, public and private. This is what Paul says, by the way, in, 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 in Philippians, when he says to work out our salvation. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't mean work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. Work it out of you. It, the idea is like, uh, like a, you're, you're you know, baking or something, and you've got this recipe, and you've, and you've created this batter, and then you take like the egg, and you crack it, and it drops into the batter, and then you take that spatula or that whisk or whatever, and then you stir it around, and you work it into the batter. You want, to, you want to distribute it evenly amongst the batter. That's what it means to work out our salvation. It, it, it is distributed. It's, it's, it shapes every, it sifts through every area of our life. This is what it means to abide. The question then um, is to, to get back to our topic, how does this give us freedom? How does abiding in God's word give us freedom? How does hearing and obeying the word of God make us free? Well, again, coming back to our myths, because this is what we were designed for. God knows what's best for us. He is our designer. When he says go, we go. When he says stop, we stop, because he's the creator and he knows how we are to live. Therefore, abiding in his word is not a burden. It's the only reasonable way to live. 
One of my favorite illustrations for this is that of a man in a plane. And I've shared this illustration before, but it's so good, I'm just going to do it again. There's a salesman who would often fly from place to place for his work uh, in this little plane that he owned. And he would oftentimes fly low over these mountains. And in these mountains were these windy roads back and forth. And he would often watch the little cars that he could see driving on these windy roads below him. And he would often feel bad because there would be these little cars that would get stuck behind these great big trucks. And instead of going 55 miles an hour, as the cars uh, can go uh, on that road, they were stuck going behind these trucks at like 20 miles an hour. But because the road was so windy, the cars didn't want to pass because they had no idea what was coming up around the next bend. Okay, So they're stuck behind there. And he, it was kind of comical for him because he could see... I mean, the, the vast, uh, you know, stretch of road. And so he could see for miles and miles, there's nobody coming the other way, but these little cars are stuck. But the reason is, is because the, the people in the cars, their perspective was limited. His perspective was, was vastly different. And he would often think to himself, if I could just have like a little radio or something to communicate down to the cars below and tell them when it was safe for them to pass and to be able to move forward and go on, uh, then they wouldn't be, you know, limping along. If only I could communicate with the people below and tell them, you know, then, then they wouldn't be in danger, nor would they have to drive so slow. You see the illustration? You see the parallel? God is the pilot. God's vantage point is different than our own. His perspective is different than our own. He sees all of time and eternity. We see but a few feet ahead of us. God knows the consequences of our decisions and our behavior. So when he says do this or don't do that, the only reasonable response is to obey him. He's the pilot. He's the designer. He knows what's best. Therefore, we obey. Freedom comes. Ultimate liberation comes when we abide in his word. So the question again is, are are we walking in freedom? Not just have we tasted at one point on our dependence day. Are we walking in that today? And if not, consider today at what step have you stalled? Here, believe Abide. This is the process. Have you heard the message of Jesus Christ in a way that you can understand and respond to? If not, mark your connect card and you'll meet with the pastor or an elder this week uh, or, or talk with the person that you came with. Second, have you believed? Have you ever said fully and finally yes to Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you ever said for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, come what may, I entrust my life to you. I do. Or third, are you abiding? I think this is probably where a lot of us struggle. Are, are, are we abiding in the word of God? Psalm 1 tells us that a godly man is one who, um, it's, it's like a tree. He says that the, the roots go deep and, and, and the, the, the tree flourishes and grows and, and bears fruit and just produces, consistently producing. And when the storm comes, the tree is secure. The tree is steady. The tree endures. That's what we all want, right? That's why many of us are here today. We want to be that tree. We want to be that tree that is steady and secure and endures and is producing consistently. But then the psalmist then contrasts that with the wicked man. He says the wicked man is like chaff that's driven away by the wind. Just a mere breath of the wind and it's is blown away. Can, you want to know the difference between the godly man and the wicked man? He said the godly man is the way he is because he delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night. That's what makes the godly man who he is, is he delights in the law of God and he meditates on it day and night. The godly man loves to have God tell him what to do. Do you love to have God tell you what to do? 
The godly man is one who, who loves to have the, the word of God examine his life and expose areas maybe that are contrary to God and addresses them. Christian friends, if you're, if you're not experiencing this freedom that we've been talking about today, perhaps this morning we need to take some time and say, am I abiding in his word? Is there somewhere in my life where I am failing to hold to his word? Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Amen? Let's pray.